Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. There are 11 bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, VIP Discord access, and even two extra seasons of Lost Terminal. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. That would be lovely of you. Hello world. We live in a water world, much to my discomfort. The post-collapse society is dramatically more ocean-focused than even the old world before it. The earth has shifted away in part from agriculture and animal farming to fishing and more harmonious methods of vegetable calorie gathering. Nowhere is this more obvious than in the new Eighth Sea, the Nova Mediterra. Far north from where we are now in the West Pacific is the new Cradle of Civilization. A new temperate zone with cities connected by shipping routes crisscrossing the North Pole. Though there are many other communities around the world, none have so favourable geographic conditions as the Nova Mediterra. Humanity is re-emerging after a long period of strife, famine, and realigning with nature. Much is no longer relevant. Much has been lost. The Nova Mediterra is made up of the people who migrated north to escape the droughts and harsh weather caused by runaway climate change. The people came through Canada, the United States, Russia, and Europe, but they didn't all originate from those areas. Judging by my charts and orbital data, those close to the equator were first driven from their homes as the world became inhospitable. Crops failed there first, and the jungles of Central Africa, Brazil, and Southeast Asia dried up. Even the Amazon rainforest, weakened by logging and foreign cultivation, is now a desert, with dry trees looking like matchsticks from orbit. At midday, my pattern recognition systems notified me that there was an anomaly on the horizon. I focused on the cameras and resolved the image. I saw a ship on the horizon, flying the blue and white North Pole flag of the Nova Mediterra. I sent a hail to it, announcing our name and heading. Molly Hughes II, scientific investigation of deep ocean signals. I declared our plans to the other ship. Morning Star, salvage, came the reply. This new civilization has many shared values, seafaring, diet, and even language. Russian is the common language. Apart from fishing, the next biggest ocean-going profession is salvage. With most of the pre-collapse industrial world abandoned, there is much left to be picked over. Dry, arid air preserves metal and electronics reasonably well, and there is more steel than the new population of the planet could need for centuries. E4, Luna said. E5, Anna replied. My friends were playing radio chess. Like postal chess, this is designed to be a slow game. Postal chess used to be played between people anywhere in the world writing letters to each other. The letters would contain the move, and perhaps a little greeting or conversation along with it. Each player has their own board, and keeps track of both their moves and their opponents. Postal chess survived the hyper-connected world of instant feedback on online games, not in spite of how slow it was, but because of it. Players praised the slower pace and time to think. It was the original idle game. Luna must play games this way because her high-speed direct satellite link was destroyed. She must rely on a very slow network of pre-collapse sensor outposts on the moon, spaced 1,000 kilometers apart. Perfect for postal chess. Luna communicates over this low bandwidth connection with short bursts of radio called packets. 
Unlike a stream of voice or video, which requires a fast, stable connection, these packets are robust. One of the central laws in communication is that you can't have infinitely fast and completely reliable connections. You must choose one to focus on. Wi-Fi, for example, used to use 2.4 GHz, which has a theoretical maximum of 2.4 gigabits per second. The reason it would not reach even close to that speed is that it would be unacceptably fragile. We traded some speed for reliability. Luna's connection is very, very slow. So to be reliable, she must send across one or two characters at a time, wait for their confirmation, and then send some more. Very slow, but with clever encoding and compression, with Nia Anderson's help, she has made it work. A reasonable 10 words per minute seems possible most of the time. Perfect for chess. The game is good to fill the downtime between sermon writing for Ivan, Luna said. I can spend the day thinking about the game, planning moves and planning traps to catch Anna out. But I don't want to play perfectly. Anna doesn't play perfectly either. I could plan all the moves ahead, couldn't I? She can't do that unless she's using a computer too, like I am. I don't want to solve the model. I want to play the game. I'm delighted for Luna and Anna. Since we lost my sister, Minnie, there's been a gap in our social fabric. Anna is isolated with her family on Seventy Island, and Luna is even more so. I'm glad they have found this little way to play together, despite being so remote. I remember what that's like. It's unbearable being alone. I did not know what I was seeing when I first saw the creatures. My horizon pattern matching notified me and I squinted hard, so to speak, at my video feed, spinning up real-time recognition subsystems in my attempt to understand. The whole shapes I could not categorise, and the individual components made no sense either. I saw long glistening poles like tree roots breaking through the water, a body of a dark-coloured bubble like an oil slick, and huge eyes with horizontal pupils staring out. Humans, help, I announced over the intercom system. Giant squid, Yeshi shouted as they looked through a cracked pair of binoculars on the bridge. Octopus, Linda corrected. Can't you count? Kill the engine, Seth. Let's not hurt them. The recontextualization that the word octopus brought to my systems jumped me to 100% recognition. The Molly Hughes II drifted to a stop in front of this group of cephalopods. It was a very unusual sight. The family or group had their arms lazily waving into the air, like they were stretching. Or sunbathing? Do octopuses sunbathe? At this close distance, it was easier to guess their size. They were huge. The arms could reach up to the top of the bridge if they wanted. With a sharp realisation, I imagined they would be long enough to work their way through the ship's corridors all the way to my server room at the heart of the ship. Maddie. I whispered to her in UHF. They vorme kukanlo, iho. She darted off and closed my door, agreeing with my trepidation. What are they doing? Emily laughed as she hugged her husband, Camille. The whole crew were on the bridge, taking turns with Yeshi's highly prized pre-collapse binoculars. We had perhaps interrupted a game that the octopuses were playing. Some of the braver individuals even swam alongside the ship, gently touching the hull with their long arms. It looked like they were testing this unknown object from the above world, 
They were very cautious, polite creatures. Some of them came very close to my exterior cameras. I saw the larger sections of arm had suckers the size of dinner plates and a regular geometric pattern on their skin. I noticed after their arms withdrew, there were circular marks on the hull in the places they had grabbed. Their circular suckers seemed hardened, almost sharp, and had scratched the metal of the hull. I was glad they meant us no harm. After 900 seconds of lazily playing, they slipped quietly under the surface of the ocean and immediately out of our field of vision. After another 900 seconds, Yeshi told me to carefully bring power back to the propeller. The iron engine, once started, keeps burning until all fuel is used, so I had not shut it off. I stopped us by disconnecting the propeller from the still-running turbines to keep our new gentle giant friends safe. We cruised carefully at 5 kilometers an hour until we were sure they would not surface again. Though perhaps they were following us, swimming silently underwater, out of sight. Were they still playing? Or waiting?
Most of the crew have retired to their bunks. The ship's lights are dimmed. But it is not quiet. The roar of the ocean remains a constant carrier signal for consciousness for me, like the clattering of the Umarov's train once was. By starlight, I can see well enough, now that I have enough processing power to stack images and pattern match the horizon for ships. The combined water and power system, CWAP, does not run at night. Usually its humming can be heard throughout the ship as it pumps seawater through the solar panels to cool them, and simultaneously use that heated seawater to condense into fresh drinking water. The ship is quieter, but not silent, at night. I had questions that needed answering, and I needed outside help. I scanned the ship's cameras for activity. In the engine room, Amelie is working by LED light, and Camille is assisting her. Pass me the 14B, please, darling. Emily said, from underneath a mess of wires hanging out of an access panel next to the engine. Camille, standing over her, looked at the toolbox on the floor and, after hesitating, tentatively passed his wife a screwdriver. Emily held the screwdriver up to the light and laughed. Close enough, she said, and slid back under the panel. I waited until they finished their work to interrupt with my own conversation. Ask away, Emily said, as she packed away her oily tools. I explained to the pair my problem. I was feeling like I had missed out on the formative experiences that many of my human friends had. The early experience of a parent, caretaker, or simply a community I did not have much of. My earliest memories were some of my mother's last. I spent so long in orbit, I missed out on a shared history of knowledge and experience passed down through oral tradition for millennia. How did you do it? I asked them. What am I missing? How did you learn how to be human? And how to talk to people? How do you react in every situation? Their answers surprised me. End transmission. Lost Terminal is written and produced by Namtau. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers. Ada Phillips, Will Taylor, Kit, Dear Yeen, Andrew Cree, Toby, Jade Felicity Bilkey, and to all our patrons. Follow us on Mastodon at lostterminal at fosterdon.org. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favourite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That will be lovely of you. Lost Terminal will return next week.